This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. LCS to see what they had I want Batman Something good Nothing stupid That's understood They said yeah, 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 yeah Yeah, 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 yeah What you need What you really need Bat books. Bat books for beginners. Bat books. Bat books for beginners. Bat books. Bat books for beginners. Hello, and welcome to this edition of TBU's Bat Books for Beginners, episode 189. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. On Bat Books for Beginners, we will examine story arcs with Batman and related characters. We'll give you the historical background of the book, break down the plot and the art, and give you our opinions so you can decide for yourself if they're worth a read. Today's Bat Book Chris and I are covering is Robin, Violent Tendencies. Chris, tell us a little bit about this book. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jerry. Hey, some rascals music. Yeah, love me some rascals. I love me some rascals too. That was a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Bat fans. Welcome. We appreciate you downloading and giving us a listen today. Robin, Violent Tendencies is not the name of an 80s album, but rather is a 160 page trade paperback that had a cover price of $17.99. This trade paperback was published in November of 2008 and appears to have only gone through one printing. This trade paperback reprints Robin numbers 170 through 174, that's five issues, which were originally cover dated March 2008 through July 2008, and each issue had a cover price of $2.99. This trade does appear to be available on Comixology. If you're interested in obtaining a hard copy of the story, while the individual's issues can be found for less than cover price, online vendors have the trade paperback going slightly less than half off the cover price. Hmm. And to quote Ed comedian Eddie Murphy, what a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for our creative team, as per usual, I'll cite online resources and go off my personal memories. Our writer is Chuck Dixon, who we've mentioned numerous times on past podcasts, so I'll give the short version. <laughs> Chuck Dixon... Chuck Dixon, excuse me, wrote for Evangeline for Comico in 1984. I first encountered his work for Airboy for Eclipse Comics in 1986. Wow, what memories. Yeah. For Marvel, he worked on Mark Spector, Moon Knight. And per Wikipedia, he was, quote, DC's most prolific Batman writer in the 1990s. In addition to writing detective comics, he pioneered the individual series for Robin, 
Nightwing, and Batgirl, Mm -hmm. as well as creating the team and book Birds of Prey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, his recent work for DC Comics is the Bane Conquest limited series. Mm -hmm. The bulk of the artwork for this series was provided by Chris Batista. Batista is an alumnus of Manhattan School of Visual Arts, having studied under Claus Jansen, who helped him obtain his first professional work. Now, titles Batista has contributed to include Steel, Spider-Man 2099, Space Knights, Thunderbolts, The Legion, JLA, and he's provided several art work for issues of DC Comics' weekly year-long comic book series 52 back in the day. And Batista resides in New York City. Over on Amazon.com, this trade paperback has a rating of four stars out of five, with one saying this was, quote, just okay, and another giving it, quote, five stars. Hello. Mm. Now, over on Goodreads.com, this has a rating of 3.64 stars out of five, based on 101 ratings and seven reviews. Uh, mm-hmm. But just what do Jerry and I think of this particular mm-hmm. trade paperback remains to be seen, dear listener. <laughs> so stay tuned. And with that, I shall turn it back over to you, Jerry. Thanks, Chris. So we're going to talk about this story after a few messages from some of our friends. Do you love comic books and consider yourself a diehard fan? Then you need to listen to Parlapod. We have news, reviews, and interviews with your favorite pros, all while bringing some serious laughs. New episodes drop every Wednesday in time for New Comic Book Day. Parlapod is available on the Project Entertainment Network, all major podcast outlets, and Parlapod.com. Tune in and fuel your fandom with Parlapod. Welcome back. Here is the story of Robin, Violent Tendencies. There's a new masked vigilante in town. Violet. Oh, no. Yes, I know. It's very <laughs> scary. Violet is beating up bad guys, but she's also taking their ill-gotten gains for herself and then calling the GCPD. When Batman and Robin hear about the Violet super, super anti-hero, they wonder if it is spoiler. Nah, couldn't be. Stephanie Brown is dead. Right? Wait a minute. When do you exist? Yeah. <laughs> Back in high school, Tim introduces his girlfriend, Zoe, to his old buddy, Martin Ives. Ives is a good-natured joker. Not joker, but, you know, a joker. Yeah, yeah. Tim gets one of Violet's victims out of his holding cell and, uh, let's say, convinces him to tell him where his dirty money came from. He figures that Violet will be there and he can apprehend her and be sure that she isn't Stephanie. He gets directed to a sports bar bowling alley. Violet is indeed there, and the two fight, but she's able to get away. The guy Tim interrogated makes bail, and it turns out he works for Penguin. Penguin wants him to capture Robin and Violet. Tim wonders if Violet is doing the Robin Hood routine with the stolen money and finds a church in a bad part of town that somehow has found money for a big renovation. Tim goes in. And he sees that the building also has various rehab, AA, and other recovery groups like you might have seen in Fight Club. He sees that his friend Ives is there. It turns out Ives has cancer and is in a support group. Violet discovers that there is something bad going on at a Roman Empire-themed gambling club called Maxi's. She finds a guy on the inside and persuades him to give her various door entry combinations. Robin meets GCPD detectives Cavallo and Wise. They say that they would like to work with him. 
They will give him info, and he will give them collars. Tim gets info to go to Maxie's, and he heads over. As he's casing the joint, there's a commotion. Violet is stealing the casino's money. Tim calls Cavallo and Wise and goes to stop Violet. Shots are fired from the casino guards. Chaos ensues. Robin and Violet fight, but also protect each other from the bullets. Finally, the GCPD shows up and arrests the bad guys. Violet gets away again. This hubbub is all part of Penguin's plan somehow. But how? As Tim leaves the club, a mysterious hooded figure in purple looks on. She looks like Spoiler. Then she removes her mask. It is Stephanie Brown, who is not nearly as dead as we were led to believe. What? I know. Blows my mind. Penguin hears about this new purple superhero and wants her dead, too, along with Robin and Violet. Cavallo and Wise give Robin a lead on a counterfeiting operation. The two cops are a little shady. They threaten Officer Harper's career if Robin doesn't follow up on the counterfeiters. Robin gets a location of the operation, and Spoiler sneakily follows him. Violet also gets the lead on the counterfeiters. They all converge on Sea Fine Seafood Distribution Plant, which has been Penguin's plan all along. Violet and Robin meet and fight. Spoiler shows up and starts beating on Violet, too. Thinking Stephanie is dead, Robin is angry that someone is impersonating Spoiler. She does call him Tim, though. Sin Fang, a super soldier guy, and his gang burst into the building. This has all been a trap set up by Penguin. They all fight, and Tim calls in his remote-controlled car to run over some baddies. He and Violet get into the car and escape the trap. Spoiler gets away, too. Violet gets out of the car. Robin calls to Batman, and they both go to visit Spoiler. Stephanie reveals herself to them, alive. Tim takes her into his arm and kisses her. They bring her back to the Batcave, and Alfred is overjoyed to see her. It turns out that Leslie Tompkins faked Stephanie's death and took her to Africa to help some locals there with a medical clinic. In Africa, Stephanie saved Leslie's life and the lives of the villagers from some weird witch doctor assassin squad. She realized that she'll always be spoiler and must return to Gotham. Now that Tim and Stephanie are back in school together, Stephanie invites Tim out with her troublemaking friends. They'll break into an old factory and hang out, you know, high school kid stuff. Kids. Kids today. <laughs> Stephanie's friend Bailey finds a stuffed animal and takes it with her home. The cops arrive and the kids scatter. Tim drives Stephanie and Bailey away. A hooded man in the shadows follows Tim's car and shoots at them. Tim evades the pursuer and takes Bailey home. Tim and Stephanie suit up as Robin and Spoiler and find the guy chasing them. He was trying to get the stuffed animal Bailey had. Turns out it was the doll of a girl they kidnapped so her mom wouldn't testify against them for some crime or other. The girl is driving her kidnappers crazy until she gets it back. Robin and Spoiler beat up the guy, call the cops, and take his cell phone. They press redial and trace the signal. They find the kidnappers, fight them, and free the girl just in time for the GCPD to show up and arrest everyone. So Chris and I are going to talk about our feelings for this story after these words from some of our friends. Warlord Worlds, a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of Mike Grell, 
including Warlord, John Sable, Star Slayer, Shaman's Tears, and Green Arrow. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. you'll join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Warlord Worlds is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at warlordworlds.com. Welcome back. Okay, Chris, what did you think? Well, Jerry, last time we covered Bacco Redemption, and I started out with my nitpicks and quibbles. Mm -hmm. This time I want to start out with some things I liked. Uh, Finally, 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 spoilers back, (laughs) and I have to confess, I didn't realize how much I missed this character. This was really a refreshing uh, reuniting. The artwork with Stephanie and with Tim and the the big hug and embrace was devoted to one big splash page, and that was in number 174. The artwork was excellent. There were some great facial expressions. I really, really loved uh, seeing Stephanie and how she acted and mm-hmm. just her interactions with all the supporting cast uh, and and with Batman and with Tim was just really, really spot on and excellent writing from uh, Dixon, in my opinion. Yeah. Next, I love D-list villains and seeing Condiment <laughs> King and Maxi Zeus, I, I just uh, – my heart yeah. warmed when I saw that. Uh, that was really, really good stuff. We had a lot of uh, – Tim in school, and when he seemed distracted, to me that seemed very relatable. Uh, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, just, I'm looking out the window. I got to think of what to do. I, I got so many other things on my mind. That was really good stuff, and I never realized it, but Tim does have a lot of internal thoughts. He's mm-hmm. very contemplative. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really shows some depth to this character. And I like the stuff with Ives and Tim's social life. Violent. I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where I am with her, mm. that uh, she could be this tough and uh, a formidable yeah. opponent for Robin and getting away. But I did like to see a, a female antagonist. Mm-hmm. And overall, I thought this was a really, really decent trade. Jerry, what were your impressions? Well, I agree. I, I loved seeing Condiment King. That was hysterical. Um, uh the, a couple of things that kind of stood out to me, uh, Tim and Zoe, Zoanne, his, his current girlfriend, uh, they don't have the best relationship in the world. Uh, she doesn't really understand, you know, what he has to do because he can't tell her, you know, what his, uh, at nighttime activities are. So he does things like falls asleep on a roller coaster, which, you know, she can't <laughs> yeah, believe. I had a good laugh at that. Yeah, definitely. Um, that you mentioned the art, the art is excellent in this. I especially love the colors. This is a beautiful couple of books. Um, one thing, and I know this is a Tim Drake thing. He tends to squat a lot. You know, his, he kind of, his butt goes down to the, to his feet and his, his knees are pointed up. And, you know, there's a guy that doesn't miss leg day. Um, he really works out a lot. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got a definite, um, unique physicality, um, than other Robins or other of the superheroes. And it's, you can always tell when it's Tim and you can see it here. Um, there were other some um, touches. Penguin, they show Penguin once, and he's sitting in what first looks like a hot tub, but then you realize it's a cold tub, and there's a woman <laughs> in a bikini in there with him shivering. Of course, it would have to be a cold one. Yes, I didn't think of that. Yes, that was brilliant. I loved it. Um, when Tim kissed Stephanie when he first sees her, he just like 
yeah, he's going to be angry later. Yeah, he's, you know, going to be upset that she's alive and didn't tell him and all the things. But he is just so his first impulse is to be overjoyed and just grab her and hug her and kiss her. And that was just such a satisfying moment. Uh, and like you said, it was a full page and it just looked fantastic. And I really, really liked that. Um, when, uh, they were talking about the, the little girl who dropped her, um, her doll that they were going to look for, I thought that was a really good touch. You know, she was a little, a little tiger, the girl, and she was driving her kidnappers crazy. And it reminded me of, uh, Ransom or Red Chief, which had a similar, <laughs> uh, was that Thurber? I think it was, um. And, you know, there was a lot of humor in this. They're, they pulled over some stacks of papers onto the guys, um, onto some of the bad guys. And they say things like, oh, and they say that print is dead, you know, and just little jokes, little gags to keep things um, moving along. And if I was to have any one quibble, I would say that when Stephanie came back, she's alive and she gets integrated back to school really fast and all of a sudden she has friends and Tim kind of he comes with our friends and and it seems like they skipped some time where um you know it, it happened pretty quickly that she was reintroduced and and kind of has a gang of friends so quickly so that's my one little quibble about that that's a fair observation. Um, flip side, one thing I like though was just these little asides that you previously mentioned. Yeah. And one, one bit that I like that Dixon included here and how well it was drawn mm-hmm. was when Tim's in school and it's a crowded hallway and he sees the, oh. uh, blonde from behind and he thinks, mm-hmm. no, it can't be, yeah. uh, you know, and, but how many times have you been on a street or been, been at a store or been mm-hmm. out in public and, and you see somebody you just think you recognize that you hadn't seen in maybe five, ten years or more? And you do a quick double take and you think, that can't be, but it looks exactly like, no, wait, you know, and by the time you try to get a second glimpse, oh, they're already gone. And you just will always be left wondering, you know, if if that was uh, that person you thought of. So I thought just little moments like that kind of really struck home for me and uh, struck a nerve personally with some, some nice touches there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so thinking about the story, thinking about how it all, you know, hung together and all the different elements, I mean, how would, what kind of rating would you give this? Is this something that you really liked? I really liked it. I don't know how high I would score it though. One of the things that, uh, Batgirl Redemption did really well was just, uh, bridging the issues together with little cliffhangers to get us interested. Mm-hmm. Whereas we had that to a degree here, I don't know if it packed quite a punch mm-hmm. as the previous trade we looked at, you know, to be fair. But this did have some other things going for it that sort of compensated. I thought the art was better. I thought the characterization of Stephanie was good and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just the reuniting with Batman and the whole clan was really nice. Jerry, if we're going to steer our way into the ratings, I have to confess, I am really torn between a three and a half and a four out of five. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. This was a superior story, but I just don't know how I'd rate it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm going to be very generous, I would say four. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. But, uh, I, I, you know, you ask me tomorrow or in a day, if I, eh, three and a half. But, you know, I think one of the things I asked myself on the last podcast was, will this did 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 Batgirl Redemption stay with me? Will mm-hmm. it stay with me tomorrow at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. 
this is a story I think will. I think I will think back on this. I think this is going to stay fresh in my memory for a little time. If anything, it's for the inclusion of Stephanie and how yeah. this scene was depicted. So I, I, I have to bump this up to a four based on my own personal criteria. Mm-hmm. So uh, must read uh, mm. for Stephanie fans for sure. Uh, for others, I, I would recommend it. And uh, that's that's where I'm at. How about you, Jerry? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think you know, from uh, if I was to look at this purely objectively, I don't think this is a story that like kind of blows you away. Um, you know, and so I would, but it perfectly serviceable, perfectly, you know, terrific, you know, logical, well-told story that, which would, you know, lead me to, to rate it around a three and a half. But the, the whole, you know, Stephanie Brown, and I just think she's a great character and I love seeing her and she's terrific here. And we, you know, hear about some of her background, what she's been through since uh, the end of war games and uh, I just loved it. And I, um, uh, you know, I realized that this is a, a purely a personal um, thing, a personal like that I would bump it up to a four for that reason, just because this is really good Stephanie and really important to that kind of cycle. If you're if you're a Stephanie Brown fan, this is an absolute must read because you know, she comes back from being dead. So that's important to the Stephanie Brown story. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, for other fans, I don't think it's necessarily a must read, but I would recommend this as an absolutely solid story. Um, I, I, I think Violet was, you know, a perfectly good kind of antagonist in this, uh, in this story. Uh, she was funny. There was some good back and forth with Tim. I liked their patter. So I would, uh, I think that this is a very, very good one that I personally like very much. Here, here. Yeah, terrific. So, um, so that's what we have on this. Now, Chris, we have heard a lot about our past episodes, haven't we? Yeah, thanks so much, Jerry. We got a nice comment over on the Batman Universe website from Zex. And this is sort of a lengthy comment, but uh, nonetheless, I think he really touched upon a lot of points, so I'd like to share it. Yeah. This was the episode where we covered Batgirl Redemption, mm-hmm. and Zex writes as follows. I am not a fan of this many being a fan of this character, number mm-hmm. one. Being reminded of what came prior, mm-hmm. I was not a fan of the villain motivation of Cassandra. Mm. Being that this picked up on that, I was like, quote, um, nope. <laughs> Number two, the time period you mentioned, Dick was so not like this guy and was so mm-hmm. severely out of character because someone in the family had to be, in large letters, he writes, that guy. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> yes. Parenthetically, he states, Jason Todd was on the outs with the Bat family at this time period and Damian Wayne while uh, around, did not fully impact the bad books mm-hmm. yet, so he wasn't Robin. Good, good point there. Yeah. Uh, he continues, so basically, by default, Dick was, and he writes in big letters, that guy. <laughs> I love how Zex writes this. Yeah. A reason was given as to his behavior towards Cassandra in a filler arc that's in Batman and the Outsiders, Volume 2, mm-hmm. issue numbers 12 through 14, by Frank Thierry. Mm-hmm. And he writes parenthetically, which began uh, right during the final three issues of this mini. Mm. As that continues, here's point number three. This was not a good time 
for the character or the Bat Family comics in general at this time period since you were asking about it. Yeah, good, good calls here. Now, I want to continue with Zach's comments. He also says, Birds of Prey, Nightwing, and Robin were all winding down to make room for Dick's time on Batman and Tim as Red Robin. Yes, thank you for putting that yes. in contest. That's, that's absolutely right. This was a, a, a really weird time period and not a good one, I agree. He mm-hmm. continues to state, Chuck Dixon, writer of Robin and Batman and the Outsiders, had a fallout, which basically led to him being off both comics and hence filler for the time above by Thierry to tie up those loose ends on that. Fabian Nicienza was brought up on board Robin to tie those loose ends up. Mm-hmm. He continues to say, then there's the last half of this run, issues numbers five and six, where at this point you could tell DC was using this mini, this Batgirl mini, as an excuse to say, see, this mini isn't selling. Dumper, end mm. quote, which they had done a few months later and led to the first stint of being in limbo. The second was mm. during the New 52. It also didn't help the uplifting ending highlighted by Batman RMP, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Bruce, quote, died when this arc mm-hmm. was going on. This didn't help with the final issues of Nightwing and Birds of Prey. You had epilogues that teased Barbara back as Batgirl. And Prothogy states, the hires up later got cold feet along with Gil Simone talking them off of it. Hence, Stephanie then was given the role. I will say this, he continues to say, Beechin tried. He really did, but it wasn't his fault fully. Editorial and hires up. Heck, he even tried to lapshade that in issue number one with Alfred of his uphill battle. He tried. Mm-hmm. Damn did he try with this. But the comic <laughs> failed because of his connection to being the, quote, the guy who wrote her being turned into evil and kept writing her as such. Wow, wow. Excellent points all across the board from yeah. Zex. And I can't thank you enough for chiming in. Excellent. Thank you so much. Great, great point. Yeah, he really brings up some good points. And, you know, my memory fails me a lot of times with uh, this time period. My father was ill. I was getting the comics. But, you know, I, I think I had so much going on that, you know, my memory kind of faltered at that point. You know, and I, I really uh, chide myself a little bit because uh, – I, I tend to think I, I got a good handle on the bad timeline symmetry, but when it gets mm-hmm. to be around this time period, I have to confess my memory fades a little bit. And and Jerry, I don't know if you were reading comics around that point, but you know this was like for me, it was like uh, sees my eyes once and that puts it on, and mm-hmm. I just move on. And if I think I'm in a lull or doldrum period, I just kind of plow through it and, and wait till we get to some uh, regular bad continuity that I enjoy. Yeah, well, I think you know my tastes have changed in the. You know, it's 10 years or so since, uh, since this originally came out. Sure. And I wasn't as focused on the kind of, you know, Stephanie Brown kind of, uh, world of the Bat family. And now that, you know, years later that I am and, you know, taking a new look at these, these comics, it's, it's in a completely different context for me. So it's like I'm reading them for the first time, um, in many cases. And I, you know, I always liked Stephanie Brown as, you know, just fine as a, as a character. But in the last couple of episodes, as we've been doing some of these stories, I'm really, really warming up to her as, um, uh, you know, one of my, one of my favorite characters in the Bat family. So, um, this is, it's funny what time does. To, to your uh, understanding of these books. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm enjoying these characters much with the second go-around, with particularly uh, Cassandra Cain and Stephanie Brown, yes. that characters I summarily didn't think much of when they initially yeah. came around. Uh, Tim, 
I, I did like when he came around. Well, even <laughs> before, you know, uh, when that, and even Jason before, uh, you know, his original origin, before that sort of uh, eventually got retconned and what have you. It's it's weird because I think we get into some kind of a, a gray area because you, you read things written by the author and you just don't necessarily know what is or isn't or was or wasn't editorial mandated. Yeah, that's, that's great. So, uh, Chris, uh, have we heard from anybody else? Thanks so much, Jerry. Yes. I have to apologize up front because I've had some computer issues for the first past few days and I didn't get everybody's handle, but I do want to give shout outs to those who gave us likes and retweets on our past episode oh, yeah. where we covered Beckle Redemption. And the folks are Malagust, Heriberto Doze, Creative Thinker and Inventor, mm-hmm. Trifecta Media, PrimoCast, Xenozoic Xenophiles, thank you so much, mm-hmm. Darren and Ruth, thank you. Abdullah Khan, Optimus Prime, Laurel at Mountain Flower oh. One, Evan, Zach underscore Sally, nice. Lobo Black Wolf, oh. Nightmare on Film Street Podcast, Red X, Lava Hog. Hey, that's oh, Dave from the man. Selling Out Show podcast. Thank you so much, Dave. Bill Beer at Gotham Night Thirteen. Hey, he does the Tool to New podcast, oh, and he's got a new Bat yes, podcast coming out. Cam Demilla, Gal walks into a comic shop oh. podcast. Oh, great, great stuff. Bo fifty five. Jared Albrich, the art sale artist, Reggie Reggie, Jeff Hunter, Lucas Grossi, Jao Francisco, Cass's Batman. Love that handle. Yeah, Cass's Batman. Love it. Bob Rowland, co-host of Gal Walks Into a Comic Shop. Green Lantern HG, longtime friend of our oh, show, yeah. and Dustin Fritchell. Oh, if I overlooked you, my sincerest and deepest regrets, hey, please let Jerry know on Professor Frenzy on Twitter or myself at BTO and Bat Books, and we will be sure to mention you on our next podcast. Yes, we will. Now, don't forget to check Chris and I out on the Professor Frenzy show. <clears throat> now, by the time this episode is aired, we'll have released 16 episodes of the professor frenzy show and chris and i there talk about indie comics and other pop culture topics and we've been having a great time doing it uh folks should check the show out you can search on itunes or your favorite podcast aggregator for the professor frenzy show and we've been doing uh we've been just reading some great books over there loving it yeah yeah it's been a lot of fun you can see Chris uh, on Twitter at BTO and Bat Books, and you can, you know, if you follow him, you'll see some of the things that he does. And one of the things is on the Batgirl to Oracle podcast, which is a terrific uh, podcast by Stella. Um, Chris is reviewing the Batman Adventures, among some other things. You want to talk about that a little, Chris? Yeah, thanks so much, Jerry. Uh, the Batman Adventures comic title was based on the animated series mm. uh, that ran on Fox in the 90s, and this is the Batman Adventures comic that ran around the same time. Mm-hmm. Also looking at Archie Meets Batman 66, oh, yeah. and I also look at the Nightwing title and the mm-hmm. current events through a shipper's perspective. So I really have a lot of fun with that. Now... Speaking of Batgirl, uh, I know you do some written reviews over on the TBU oh, yeah. website, and you're also looking at Catwoman with some oh, great yes. written reviews. Thank you. Plus, if you haven't done enough, Jerry, you're also on Twitter. <laughs> so can you give us a plug? Where, where, where can we find your written reviews, and where can we find you on Twitter? Absolutely. So you can see my written reviews on thebatmanuniverse.net, where I review Batgirl and Catwoman, and I've been really enjoying 
um, my time doing those two. Uh, Batgirl is really, really gone, uh, really changing and it's a really interesting title right now. And Catwoman too. Um, you know, Selena is, uh, not married and, um, kind of, uh, hiding from her problems back home with Bruce. Jerry, I got to commend you because I, I think you do an outstanding job with the Thank written you. reviews. And I really, really enjoy reading them, and I can't wait to look forward to them every time they drop. Oh, yeah, you know, the one for Batman, Batgirl, excuse me, 25 mm-hmm. just dropped uh, as this is coming on air. And yeah. I thought, you know, this was an extra-sized issue, and I thought you really did a great job covering all the bases oh, with that thanks. one. Thank you. I really enjoyed that uh, that story. I thought it was going to be a little dry. I know that three of the four stories were kind of, um, you know, headpieces a little bit as, you know, seeing what uh, where Barbara's head is at um, at this point. And um, one of them, especially the one where she was uh, kind of in a in a hotel room with uh, Dick Grayson, they were just kind of talking it was really very much a my dinner with andre <laughs> kind of back and forth as they're discussing their lives and i thought it was fascinating i really liked it i thought it was really cute and uh they're also one of the stories um is going to be the ongoing um plot that they're going to be covering in future batgirl uh, issues so you know you should check out that check out that book good stuff second it yeah. So I also, uh, every week, uh, if you follow me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy, I tweet out my weekly comics. I talk about indie comics a lot. I talk about all kinds of comics a lot and also my adventures trying to survive, uh, watching all of the, the 1500 or 1400 Dark Shadows episodes. So that's always fun. And, uh, we live tweet horror movies, Chris and I, uh, on the hashtag Spenguli on Saturday nights at, uh, between eight and 10. And we had quite a good one last night. A House of Frankenstein, oh, which yeah. was uh, a movie I recall seeing as a kid uh, yes. in, in, in my youth, and I just was just marvel at uh, mm. the inclusion of uh, the classic lineup of Frankenstein's monster mm. and Dracula and the werewolf all in yes. one movie. What more could you want? Yes, it was it was great. And Jake Harrell Nash is uh, kind of a hunchback, and um, there's uh, he's so good, and um, so many great characters. And you see John Carradine playing Dracula. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, that was something. Uh, and uh, did you now? Had you seen this when you were younger, Jerry? This came on uh, the CBS affiliate. Uh, as an as a as a weekday afternoon movie, uh, when I was probably about uh, eight years old, and I, I was just blown away, and I I, went, I wanted to see if any of my friends saw it, and they they were just too busy doing other things, and I just. I said, "How could you miss this movie? It had everything in it. it had this guy. It had it had it had the you know Dracula and Frankenstein and, yeah. and the Wolfman, and they were all in one movie. You know, you you, you didn't see it, and it was like." This was, for me, required viewing. I mean, nothing was going to move me from that TV set when I saw it. Mm -hmm. How about you? Did you catch it at an early age yourself? I sure did. And, you know, I think that this is, you know, it's it's not some of the originals, right? This is a mid-40s movie. Sure. So it's not, you know, like Dracula or Frankenstein, the, you know, original movies. But, and it's... It's definitely a B movie, right? It's not one of the original, you know, where they're, the studios were really pushing these movies. But I think it's the best of all the Monster Rally movies. The 
fights and the, you know, just seeing all the different monsters. And I'll never forget as a kid, the, uh, the Dracula death scene where he's being chased by, um, some guys on horseback and he's r- driving a carriage and trying to get away from them and trying to get back to his, uh, his coffin before the sun comes up. And then, uh, Boris Karloff and Daniel, the, the hunchback, they kind of pitch his, his coffin out the back of the, of their, uh, <laughs> cart. And, you know, they're like, you know, see you, Dracula. And, uh, <laughs> um, it's just, I'll never forget that scene as a kid. And, and uh, seeing it again last night was just uh, was terrific. I loved it. Great show. Great, yeah. great fun time watching it with a with a with a group, if yeah. you will, uh, via Twitter. Absolutely, we had a blast. Uh, well, so that's all we have for today. Please join us next time, where Chris and I will cover Catwoman: The Long Road Home. My name is Jerry, and I'm Chris. And thank you for listening to Bat Books for Beginners. LCS to see what they had I want Batman Something good Nothing stupid That's understood They said yeah, 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 yeah Yeah, 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 yeah What you need What you really need Bad books. Bad books for beginners. Bad books. Bad books for beginners. Bad books. Bad books for beginners.